Well, the Bible is a book that tells the truth about God's people, and sometimes the truth is not that good. Let me explain that to you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery, a program that is designed to help you go through the Bible and discover what God says to us. Now, we do that from Genesis to Revelation. Today, we're on, of course, Nehemiah, a great book written by a man who is just trying to build a wall. And it's fascinating. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's up? Well, I'm going to be taking a look at physical evidence for Sanballat, who is listed as an enemy of Jerusalem in the times of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ryan? Hmm. Well, today I'm going to be reading you something from that my grandfather wrote in our Quick Study Bible. All right, very good. Look forward to that. And Janice? Today, do unto others. All right, very good. Get your Bible guide out and let's look at what God is saying. Nehemiah 5, verses 6 through 13. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, According to our ability... We have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations our enemies? I also with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please, let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. So they said, We will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 6 through 13. Nehemiah 5 to 7, as we continue reading through the book of the Bible, God's wonderful word. You know, the most physically impressive part of a conquering war is to firmly take control of enemy land. However, the most challenging and important part is then how to run the conquered land. James 4 tells us that fights and wars come from our heart. Our battles come primarily from 
selfishness. As followers of Christ, it is our duty to avoid being selfish with our lives. God, being greater than us, can help us overcome our bad behavior. But we must be paying attention to his word and our lives. We may never be perfect in this world, but with our obedience to God and with his help, we can make significant progress. Now, Nehemiah's God-given mission was to restore Jerusalem. To do this, Nehemiah had to confront the people living there about their lives. And Nehemiah 5 and 6, or 5 and verse 6, tells us that he spoke directly and firmly to those who were treating people unfairly. And they listened. They listened. And it's a fascinating story, letting us know the types of challenges that Nehemiah faced. And he did face challenges. Let me tell you, I love Nehemiah. He's not perfect. There was one time when he says, you know, I hit them and beat them in the head and all of that. He wasn't perfect, but he did the best he could do. And God used him. What an amazing man. Take your Bible guy. Turn to today's passage again. If you want to write for yours or if you want to call and get one, then we'd be happy to help you. And uh, let me just say as well that uh, we want to thank you for your donations. They help us stay alive. And uh, the donations are how we live here. So thank you so much for them. And also, if you want to get quickly restoring Jerusalem seconds away from this, then go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, and click on the page. It'll take you to a donate page, and then it'll take you after that to a download page. And you can download it as we printed it. Very interesting. So you're literally seconds away. Anyway, restoring Jerusalem. Now, this is after the exile. And it uh, took some time to restore the nation. I mean, after 70 years, it was challenging. And so we're going to pray today. Father, help us as we read the book of Nehemiah. We're going to listen to what challenges he had and the challenges that we have. Lord, I pray that your word would change our hearts and that we would not be people who look away, but we would look up to you. And we would say, Father, help us on this day. And Lord, teach us your way and show us your path in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen. Now, there's only one way to position this as we start immediately, and that's to go to chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Listen carefully to what the Lord has said. He said, and I became very angry, Nehemiah says, when I heard the outcry of these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. And I said to them, Nehemiah says, I said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly. I called it against them. Verse eight. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, if you will, or you will even sell your brethren. Will you do that? Or should they be sold to us? And then they were silenced. And they were found, they found nothing to say. Nehemiah was a confronter, man. He, Nehemiah commanded that the nobles and the rich people, the wealthy and the leaders, stop exhorting the people. It's not about you getting money. As Christians, we must remember that we represent the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved. It's not about us getting money all the time. It's not. 
We are here to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are here to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. People who have money problems, I know many of them, and they're not rich. They're quite poor. They have money problems. Very few people who are very wealthy have money problems who are Christians. You see, beloved, we have to understand that having the money, isn't the, that isn't it. Many people win lotteries and they don't do well with the money. So keep in mind that we need to understand it's not about money. It's about serving God. It's about loving the Lord as Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian, you think I'm crazy, but that's okay. Stay there. You'll be, have a chance to become a Christian and understand the Lord. Nehemiah 5, 9 to 11. Then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of, the, of our God because of the reproach of the nations? Our enemies, I also with my brethren and servants am leading them or lending them money and grain. Please let us stop usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves and their houses. Also a hundredth of the money and the grain and the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. Which brings me to this point. Nehemiah noted that things were not normal and the leaders and the nobles had to get with the restoration of Jerusalem. It's not about making money and they were making money on them. It was about restoring Jerusalem. Beloved, our business changes when Jesus Christ comes into our heart. How we run our business and how we look at our business is very different when we come to know Jesus. God will make us successful. But suddenly we have to ask the question because no longer when we come to know Jesus Christ, no longer is it important for us to make money. We now have to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you the absolute truth. You can read 1 Timothy 6 if you want. Beloved, I'm telling you the truth. Nehemiah 5, 12 and 13. So they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them as we will do as you say. And then I called the priest and required an oath. <laughs> and Nehemiah didn't want to just hear that. An oath from them that they would do according to this purpose. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and I said, so may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus, may he be shaken out and empty. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord. And then the people did <laughs> according to this promise, which leads me to the last point. Nehemiah required an oath that the officials would do what they had promised. Beloved, our Christian experience is more than that. It's more than an experience. It's a lifestyle change. A lifestyle change. Things that are important to us have changed. Our family's different to us. We serve God first, then our family, and then all this money and everything else. Beloved, keep in mind that if God is first, everything else falls in line. Beloved, we need to do that. Father, I pray today that the Lord would become first in our lives. And we're not out to just make money all the time. We have to survive. Yes, Lord, we do. Help us survive. But at the same time, Lord, help us to know the difference between making money and serving you. 
because there is a difference. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Well, it's time to carry on with our Bible study, and today I wanted to read you a portion from our Quick Study Bible, which of course was produced by my grandfather a number of years ago. And uh, I wanted to read you the introduction that he wrote to the book of Nehemiah, because I think it's really helpful here. And if you do have your copy, then turn to page 620 so you can read along. It's called Nehemiah, the Tenacious Builder. And he says, Satan will do everything possible to stop the work of God. The book of Nehemiah exposes some of the subtle tricks the devil uses to stop or slow down the progress of the kingdom. Called to rebuild the crumbled wall of Jerusalem, Nehemiah faced the almost impossible task of inspiring a defeated people. They had been living under threat from their enemies for so long that they had resigned themselves to the prospect of never being any better off. Nehemiah changed all that. Riding into the city with a, a kind king's decree, Nehemiah challenged the people to rebuild the walls. Immediately, Sanballat and Tobiah, longtime enemies of the Jews, launched a campaign to stop the work. By threat, innuendo, and ridicule, they tried to get the Israelites to stop building the wall. When none of these worked, they finally sent a servant who asked, at least can't we talk about it? Well, Nehemiah recognized the trick for what it was and curtly replied that he was involved in a great work for God and couldn't come down. His tenacity paid off with the people finishing the wall in a record 52 days. The city was safe again. As we work for God, Satan will do everything he can to discourage us. He has not changed his tactics and still uses threats, innuendos, ridicule, and compromise. Often we get so caught up in defending our position that we cannot get the work done on our wall of faith. Nehemiah's book shows us we do not have to be victimized by the devil. We can rise above all all of his onslaughts. We are involved in the greatest work in the world, and we too cannot come down. You know, what's interesting is the, when, you, when you look at that, um, he had the people, and when he learned about all of the things going on against the Jews, the people were armed with a weapon in one hand and the construction equipment for building the wall in the other hand. Mm -hmm. But never did they stop construction on the wall. That's right. They always kept the construction going. So there was never any stop to it, but they always kept the construction going. And I, I wish that, that there would have been some way to do that with the temple earlier on, but I, I just find it that God does not require us to stop everything and just rescue people. God requires us to continue to build his kingdom. And we build his kingdom by helping people and by encouraging them and by showing them who Jesus Christ is, by giving to them. Mm -hmm. by being a part of it. And uh, we've seen examples of that in the past several months here. And uh, it's, we, we, you know, we, we praise God, but God has to help us, mm -hmm. help us go forward. Yeah, and I, I love Nehemiah. I know, <laughs> you know, he uh, was, was, a, he was aggressive in certain ways uh, and people would have been offended. Many people would have been offended by him, but I, I really like 
like this man. Well, yeah, I like I like what your dad says. You know, he was because your dad was a boxer, and he says, you know, in in the last couple of chapters, he says, you know, I. I pulled their hair and I beat them in the face and everything else and told them to knock it off, you know? And so, you know, uh, he, but he was that kind of guy and he understood and he knew. Yeah, he was passionate for the he Lord. He was passionate, yeah. man. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and God uses the passion in the right way when we give our hearts to the Lord. He shifts our passions from ourselves to our passion for him. Mm -hmm. And that's how he uses it. So that's very interesting, Ryan. Thank you. And my dad, of course, uh, perished. Uh, his body perished in 2010, but he's with the Lord now. My last words to him were, I'll see you later, dad. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I, I'll see him later, that that would be the last time. But anyway, nevertheless, there it is. Okay, Corey, you're up. All right. Well, today we are going to be taking a look at something that is called the Samaria papyri. Now, these come from a time period significantly later than the events that occur in the book of Nehemiah. Nevertheless, what they have turned out to provide for us is physical evidence of Sanballat, this enemy of Nehemiah and Ezra. You know, he's in both of these books. He pops up all the time, even in our reading today. So let's take a look and learn what we can learn from the Samaria papyri. In a wadi between Samaria and Jericho, the discovery of a grisly scene in a cave revealed important information that directly impacts biblical studies. The ancient cave, as it turned out, was used as a hiding place for families in the 4th century BC, the time shortly after the conquest of Alexander the Great brought Israel under Greek control. At first, this control was uncontested, but soon a group of upper-class rebels put to death Alexander's representative in the city of Samaria, a declaration of war. When Alexander and his army returned to Samaria, the men responsible with their families fled to this cave. The over 300 skeletons found in the cave, lying on the floor covered with matting, speaks to what happened next. Their hiding spot was found, and likely a large fire was set at the mouth of the cave, slowly suffocating those inside. From this grisly tomb also came tons of papyrus fragments. Those that were readable were often business documentation, and some even recorded the date of writing. Many of these documents had been sealed with clay stamped with signet seals. Of these impressions, referred to as bullae, there was one that caught the singular attention of researchers. It said, Yahoo, son of Sanballat, governor of Samaria. Not only does this confirm the important nature of the people who met their end in the cave, they were carrying documents sealed by the governor of their city, it also refers to a man named Sanballat as governor of Samaria. A Sanballat governor of Samaria is mentioned in the Bible a handful of times in the book of Nehemiah, recording history from about 450 BC. Another Sanballat governor of Samaria is mentioned by Roman historian Josephus as being alive around 335 BC. Before the discovery of this seal, it was often debated by historians whether there really were multiple Sanballats, or whether the Bible and Josephus were referencing the same man, but one of them got their dates mixed up. Now, with this seal, it can be demonstrated that there was essentially a family dynasty of Sanballats, governors of Samaria. 
So there we go. There is physical evidence for a line, a family, a dynasty of Sanballats coming out of Samaria. So this Sanballat that is referred to in the Samaria papyri is potentially a grandchild uh, of this enemy of Israel mentioned here or some sort of relative of this enemy mentioned here in Nehemiah. You know, when we when we get to heaven, uh, we're going to be preoccupied with seeing the people in our family and all of that. That's how we think now. But I, I got to tell you, I because God knows everything. He knows who's related to who, uh, who's done what, where, when. And he doesn't have a memory like ours. His memory is divine. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. But we are going to be able to access <laughs> all of this stuff and see the history of the Bible from a different point of view. Right. We read the Bible today and we read it and we only get a section of it in our mind even though we read it through all our lives. But when we get there and we're going to see everything spilled out exactly how it laid out, it's going to be perfect. It'll be interesting to see how it works. (laughs) I mean, there's so much information for us here and now for us to study and learn and really grow in our faith. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, and I'm (laughs) looking forward to seeing that. I don't know. Uh, But anyway, that's, that's very good. Okay, Janice, go ahead. So, in my New King James Bible, chapter 5 of Nehemiah is titled, Nehemiah Deals with Oppression. And it made me think about, do unto others. That verse that Jesus talks about, we read it in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, where he says, And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. And it's always a good reminder. We begin by reading chapter 5, and we see that, you know, Nehemiah, this, this rebuilding of the wall, called for workers to come inside Jerusalem, which made a bad economic situation even worse. And there's three separate instances here explaining uh, where some of the difficulties were coming from. And I won't take the time to go into those right now. And Nehemiah wasn't necessarily denouncing lending of money or following some of the laws and traditions of the Old Testament with people and how they were, you know, uh, dealing with this situation. What Nehemiah really was going after here was the taking advantage of each other. Those that had a lot were taking advantage of those who did not. And I think it's a good reminder to us, once again, that this very simple verse, and just as you want men to do to you, you do to them likewise. It's very important. Um, Just as people, to treat each other the way we would want to be treated. But even more so, as those of us who say that we are Christians, and by that, it's not just a word, it's not just a culture. To be a Christian means that we have dedicated our lives to follow after the Lord. That really means that we are ambassadors of Christ in our world, and we are to represent him to others. And we are not to be stingy. We are not to repay evil with evil. There are, there are shifts that Jesus talks about to us. If you read the Beatitudes in the Bible, you will see it's a very great shift from what we learn as we grow up in the cultures of our world. And all of our cultures have troubles. 
Um, but that's why we come to God and we follow his word because that helps us to put us in the right alignment of what God thinks, not what we think or what we feel or what we've always done. And so I just wanted to remind me and to remind you today that we need to remember not, we need to remember the needy, but we're all needy people, aren't we? That means our neighbor. What does that mean? Just the people that we live beside? No, absolutely not. It means everyone everywhere as much as possible. And um, I'm going to read a couple of other verses here. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus said to one of the scribes who asked him, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is what we do when we treat each other the way we would want to be treated. Putting others and their needs before our own, that's really an impossibility over any great length of time. The only way that we can do that is through the strength that God will give us, how he will teach us, how we see ourselves before God, and how we see others as eternal beings who need a Savior just the same way we do and have that that grace that we need to give to others as Christ has given that grace. We sing a song about it, Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me. If God can save a wretch like me and have that kind of grace, I need God's help for me to extend that grace to others as well. 1 John chapter 4, 7-11 through 11 is a good reminder to those of us who follow the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Today, as we look at the restoration of Jerusalem and everything else, uh, remember that God is here and God is listening to us. And Father, I pray today, help me to change my life. Help me to live as you want me to live in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen.
Now remember, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30, we'll pray for you live. Join us, you can join us. Go to Facebook, YouTube, or BibleDiscoveryTV.com. We are live there and we'll see you.